With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Germ Warfare is Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Jim Warfare at tntradio.live. Okay, so we've been going through a teething phase as TNT has been upgrading to this uh, incredible video feed, I must tell you. Um, so uh, but a bit of uh, bumpiness here and there, but uh, it looks like it's all being ironed out really, really nicely now. I hope that you are thoroughly enjoying the experience, whether via audio or via the video stream. I'm not entirely certain where you can watch the video. Um, the, the platform I tend to have it open on is, is YouTube, but I think it's on Rumble and a few other options. I think everything's available on TNT's website. Just go there, jump into the live chat, say hi, let me know where you are messaging from. Same with the emails, germwarfare.tntradio.live. I love, love, love knowing where in the world you are. Okay, Alex, are we ready? My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. It's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Trevor Kitchen, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's a pleasure to be here, Jeremy. Um, Thanks for having me. Uh, The pleasure is all mine. Um, When you and I spoke earlier, uh, you were telling me that... uh, that you know a little bit about my country, South Africa, and because I'm South African and I'm a patriot, I have to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, well, no, I mean, I know a lot about the country. I spent the uh, best part of my youth in South Africa. I practically all of my teenage years was were, were in South Africa, in fact, and I miss it deeply. I really do. Uh, the countryside, the wildlife, um, and the open space there is fantastic. I think you're living in one of the freest countries on the planet. And I mean that by the, from the bottom of my heart. It really is a good country. It's got fantastic food, lots of resources. They've got plenty of resources in South Africa. Anyway, I live mainly in Johannesburg, but I do know the Cape where you are. I know Cape Town quite well. Um, and I've been to most of the game reserves in South Africa. I've traveled probably in the last uh, 30 or 40 years, at least 50 times to South Africa, because all of my family were living there. Um, in fact, they, they, they all passed away in South Africa. But, um, and I'm the only one left, basically. I, I do have cousins and, and so forth there. Uh, or, or rather nephews and nieces rather, not cousins. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great country. Uh, the whole country is wonderful and the people are very nice. Everyone there has always been good to me. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you said you're in, in, in Europe. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say which country, but uh, one, thing, one thing I will say though, is Europe is always, particularly France, is, is supposedly known for its great wine. Now my wife and I were in France a few years ago and uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be completely biased, but the wine wasn't as great as our wine. I mean, South Africa really does have good wine. Absolutely. Uh, that's because I believe the nutrients in the soil have all gone. And um, I was back in, I, I, I frequently visit South Africa. I'm still a resident, actually. I've got my residency still. So I sojourn every couple of years. And uh, I would guess about 15 years ago, I was visiting South Africa to visit my parents. I imported a car from Europe. It was a Peugeot. And at that stage, you couldn't get spare parts for it there. So I decided at the end of my extended holiday, I'd ship the car back to Europe. Well, I filled up the trunk or the boot (laughs) with wine because it is the best. I mean, you say you're, I think you said you're living in I think you said you're living in Stellenbosch, right? And Parle and all those places where the wine routes are. I mean, forget yes. Napa Valley in California. Forget <laughs> Napa. It's got no touch on Stellenbosch and the Parle and the wine routes in South Africa. They're truly great. So I I filled up the the car and I shipped it back. And I remember going up to Holland from Switzerland to collect the car. And I went through customs at the gate, the guy stopped me and he said that anything to declare. 
and the car was literally tipping up on the front axle because of all the wine. <laughs> I said, no, nothing to declare. And he let me through. Anyway, when I got back to Switzerland, we had party after party in those days, and everybody sort of drank all of my wine that I left in the cellar. We just finished it in a couple of uh, parties. And I remember one morning waking up, and there were people still lying around in the flat because we'd finished the lot off. And the first thing I said to them, do you have a headache? And they said, no. And I said, you know why? Because you're drinking real wine, not the stuff they grow in Europe. Yeah. And I maintain till this day, uh, the European wine hasn't got a patch on the South African wine. And it's, it's sad that you don't find as much mm -hmm. South African wine as you should do. The only one that comes close to it, I'd say, is probably the Portuguese wine because they have a lot of yeah. open space yeah. in Portugal too, uh, mm. clean, untouched land. So it's got a lot to do with how the wine is grown, I think. So that's, that's, yeah. that's why I think the wine is great in South Africa. It is good. I was, uh, I was trying to look for a segue <laughs> in, into our topic and I'm really struggling, but you did, you did throw in the word freedom. So let's use that <laughs> okay. um, now. So, Let's just quickly talk about your, your, your background. Um, in what, what was, uh, well, basically I've, uh, I left the UK when I left school and my parents emigrated to South Africa and I moved back in my early twenties when I was about 27. Uh, I, I just didn't agree with the politics in South Africa and I didn't see much of a future. So I decided to move back to Europe. I wasn't happy about it because, um, I, I had to leave a lot of friends behind there. Um, and mm. most of them have left anyway since. Uh, so I, I left and I moved over to Europe and I worked in Switzerland for about 25 years. Um, but after the first year or two in, living in Europe, um, I realized I missed the sunshine, <laughs> especially living in Switzerland. So we emigrated to Australia and in fact, um, since leaving South Africa, I probably lived and worked in about six or seven different countries. That includes Canada, Australia, um, Belgium, and uh, mainly Switzerland. So I worked in Switzerland for, for quite a while. I worked mainly in finance, uh, which is quite boring um, if you're just doing numbers. So I tended to um, specialize in internal controls. This is writing policies and procedures for companies. And basically you see the entire company, the way it operates. Mm. You're not stuck in an office just doing financial numbers each month. You see the whole way the company operates uh, from a financial point of view and an operational point of view. And that's what I specialized in, internal controls. That has now been sort of replaced in today's world with compliance officers who, I have to say this, they don't know much about the business. They don't know mm -hmm. much about finance. They just know how to follow rules on complying with people above them. Uh, so you don't get, and this is why a lot of these companies, by the way, are having difficulty, like they're collapsing, like Credit Suisse collapsed in Switzerland. It was because of internal controls, nothing else. Uh, internal controls sort of separates duties between people so that you don't have the same person doing another job. Let's say, for example, you have someone in sales is, op is operating the cash system. Well, you can't do that. <laughs> so you have to mm. separate those duties. And the same thing applies for that with law, with judiciary, with prosecutors and judges. This is why you have separation of duties in most countries. Switzerland, mm. unfortunately not. And that brings me to my next part is about, I think the worst thing that's going on in today's world, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here, but I think the main thing that we need to get onto is about the culture shock. Yeah. And by culture shock, I mean, you know, I'm now 72 and culture is all about passing from generation to generation, uh, knowledge and that overlap between one generation to the next, in my opinion, is getting narrower. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Technology for one, 
the speed of which technology has come over these last couple of decades, um, but also because of the authorities, the way they are controlling speech. Now, if you want to destroy a culture, what better way to do it than to destroy the speech and other yeah. freedoms that people have? So if you take away the speech or, or just tell people what they cannot say, you're actually directing what they can say. So the government are controlling what is passed from one generation to the next. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? And that's what, yes, that's what censor, censorship is actually eliminating that culture from being passed on to the next generation, from generation to generation. And the, the wider that gap gets, then what, what can you bring from your parents? What can you bring from the older generation into your, and then you have this divide then between the younger generation and the older generation. And when mm -hmm. you've got that divide, you've got a thing like divide and conquer. So if you divide the nation, and let's quickly jump back while I'm on that subject about dividing. It wasn't the people in South Africa, the society, that split the nation. It was the governments. It wasn't you. It wasn't that people could live in harmony in South Africa. When I was there, yeah. I had black and white friends, Indian friends, everything. It was the government who were dictating to us what we could do and what we could not do. Now, the reason, reason why they do that, well, they bring out laws and they say, in those days when I lived in South Africa, and that's again is the reason I left, it's because I didn't agree with apartheid. I thought you have yeah. to pass on knowledge to the, the people who, who belong in that country and both belonged. Okay, the white people went there after the, the uh, indigenous people were there, but there was no reason why they couldn't all live together. In, in South Africa. And I think it was the government, just like they're doing today in Europe, yeah. dictating to people what they can say, what they can do, where they can move. And, and this is exactly, precisely what's repeating now in Europe. And on the, on the, on the point of freedom of speech, by the way, um, in South Africa, you have uh, pretty much common law as opposed to civil law and Napoleonic law. Now in Europe, laws are based on Napoleonic uh, law and legal system, which is more inquests. inquests. When, they, when they go to court, they do inquests. In the UK, it's adversarial. In, in Europe, it's inquests, inquestorial law, it's called. And that means they make an inquest. The UK, they have adversarial, so you have everybody's opinions. Mm. Now, this is very interesting because in Europe, in the 27 countries that belong to the EU, there's only one, um, no, there's only three countries and one of them doesn't belong there anymore. That's the UK abolished um, defamation as a criminal offense. Ireland abolished it because they're both common law countries. And this is very important. And Norway, the rest of them, defamation is still a crime. Why do those governments keep it as a crime? So that they can silence people. Mm. And Switzerland is one of the biggest countries, meant to be a democratic society, but Switzerland and why it's chosen, here we go, for the WEF, the Bank for International Settlements, the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, and even FIFA, football. You remember the, uh, the, mm. the big scandal they had about FIFA a few years ago? The okay, reason all yes. of these are in Switzerland is because of one thing. Privacy and secrecy is paramount in Switzerland, in the banking system and in everything. They, will, they keep things secret. And you know what JFK said about secret societies? How dangerous mm. they they are! So uh, this is this is this is basically what happens in Europe, and this is why I have been arrested twice in the last two years um, because of speech. Basically, someone charged me with defamation, and that gives uh, the Swiss the right to say it's a crime. 
So we're going to issue an international arrest warrant for this guy. Can you believe it? For speech. This would not happen in South Africa. This would not happen in the UK. And they can arrest you at a border post and they can keep you in detainment uh, and they mm. can send you to any country within Europe for misdemeanors, Jeremy, for misdemeanors. This is what they're, what they're entitled to do. And this is quite shocking. Uh, all of them say, how can this be happening? Yeah, because they have these archaic defamation laws and they've been left yeah. there deliberately, deliberately so that they can control the narrative uh, of what people speak and even think. I mean, thinking aloud won't be allowed just now. That's one yes. of my mottos. Thinking aloud is not allowed. And, uh, you know, Orwell was 100% right. He was light years ahead of everybody. So was uh, mm. Aldous Huxley with his brave new world. Trevor, just hold on one moment. I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around so that's not really taking off the way they want to either and then she said something very interesting she said you know what when the water crisis comes people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water and if you don't have water for a few days at a time you'll know all about it so maybe you know we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a world economic forum type narrative could this be what it is locked and loaded with Rick Mon on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Trevor, one of the dangers of where we are currently in society is censorship. I mean, this is fairly obvious. The COVID era kind of showed um, how absolutely critically harmful um, censorship is. But something that I've been thinking about, which could potentially be even more dangerous, is not top-down censorship, but it's self-censorship. Yes, absolutely. You self-police. Yes. And they do, that through, they do that through fear. COVID was fear, putting fear into people. So I agree 100%. It is all about self-policing, and that's what they want. And again, that jumps back to the divide and conquer, because you'll get half the population who say, okay, we'll comply, and the others won't. You've had the same with Russia and Ukraine. You get people who agree with, stand on the side of Ukraine, you get people who stand on the side of Russia, and now with Israel and Palestine too. But this is how they divide, and if they divide society like this, they don't have to do anything in the background, the leaders. They just stand back and watch eat dog eat dog. So we all fight one another. Uh, and for me, it's not about standing on the side of one country or another when they're at war. There are people dying on, <clears throat> excuse me, there are people dying on both sides. And that mm. shouldn't be happening. We're in 2023. Something is drastically, drastically wrong with the leadership in this world. Look at the state we're in. Look at the environment. 
Everything's being poisoned. The food is, is nothing like it was when I grew up. Uh, the air quality is going down. They talk, they use this uh, language like climate change and so forth. Why don't they just come straight out and say the environment is being poisoned? And, the yeah. and who's doing that? You, me? No, it's the corporations. When I used to fly up and down to South Africa, here you go. There was one flight a week to London. As, as we progressed, and that went very quickly, within a matter of 15 or 20 years, there was like two a day. Now, who, yeah. who makes those decisions? It's the lawmakers. It's the people who are writing the laws who put that through parliament. And it's the parliaments who are kowtowing to the economics of the country. It's all about economics at the end of the day. What's good for parliament is is the economic status of the country. This is what it's about in Switzerland, especially with the banking system. It's all about politics. So they will lock up anybody who blows the whistle on banking, but, for example. Can I jump in there just with a question yeah. on that, uh, Trevor, if you don't mind? Uh, you say it's all about politics, but when we started talking a few minutes ago, you know, you were, you were highlighting um, the importance of culture. And I often wonder, in that tug of war, do you not sometimes think that politics um, is actually downstream from culture? Um, well, I, I certainly think they control it. Um, but I don't know whether it's actually downstream from culture. No, I'd have to really think about that one. That's a good question, but I'd have to think about that. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. But I think um, politics nowadays well, is being run by yeah. corporations and banks. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, let's mm -hmm. think of, let's just think of a random country. Okay, Iran. So Iran's politics are generally downstream from Iran's culture, if that makes sense. Whereas in the United States, um, it's also, the politics are also downstream from its culture. Of course, its culture seems to be imploding, but um, it, it does appear to me that that culture always comes first. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it, it, this would be a completely new topic for me. I, I think mm. you're right. It, it is, whether it's downstream or not, I'm not so sure about that anymore. It might have been intended yeah. that way, but I, I, and it should always be the culture that comes first. It should always be the people who decide what's happening in your p political situation. It's, and that's all twisted yeah. nowadays. It's the government controlling the people. Yeah, and they're using money to do it. We all need money. And as you know, we're going into this uh, central bank digitalization of currency. And we could get onto that later, discuss that for yeah. hours long, because yeah. what's going on there is also incredibly, I mean, do you think, for example, they printed all those trillions that they, that they say they did? I don't believe that for one minute. Those those were numbers in a in a computer IOUs, and they were not given to the people. They they said they're printing all this money. Well, they printed trillions. The EU, for example, were printing eighty five billion a month. And they did that for about three years. Mario Draghi, Gee. I think his name was. Yeah. Now imagine that money sloshing around in the system. Trillions. This, this is unbelievable amount of money. It never got to the people on the street. What I started looking at because of my financial background was where this money was going. It was going in stocks and shares. So oh, the stock market was going, that, that was it. They were giving that money, putting it as a number in the, in, in the, in the digital system. Let's call it a software number in a computer. And they were giving IOUs out to everybody. Say, That's look, you can use this money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you think Mark Zuckerberg suddenly got became a billionaire overnight? They actually yeah. came yeah. out and said to him, Yesterday you were worth fifty million. Here you go, Mark. Here's fifteen billion to your young guy. Sure. Because Yo, that's they wanted to control the they wanted to control social media. That's why they gave these 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 um, companies like Facebook so much power. They needed the money. Uh, yeah. So, Trevor, let's let's just continue that line of thought for a moment. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. Society is moving into a sort of more technocratic regime, um, as we all know, with CBDCs and yep. cent well, central bank digital currencies and digital ID, etc. This seems to be inevitable. There doesn't seem to be any stopping of it. No, and it isn't. Um, Switzerland's just released uh, something yesterday, I think it was, saying that they're going to be the first country. Isn't that a surprise? With everything else, you've got the Bank of International Settlements right. and uh, everything, uh, everything's happening in Switzerland. And there's reason for that. And again, we could just talk about Switzerland's involvement in all of this. That would just be, you know, you could talk about that for a couple of hours because that's oh, where everything is centralized. We the, all know. The, Sorry, but... We yeah. all know that Switzerland is just neutral. We all know that. <laughs> it's not very democratic, though. It's neutral, <laughs> and that's why it's been chosen. Even even during the war, it was they say they were neutral, but they were locking up American pilots. In, uh, mm. Anyway, I'll go on with the, about this. Uh, the currency, I think, is quite important because Switzerland has always had the strong Swiss franc. And if you look back... Um, maybe till 1971, about when you were born, I guess. <laughs> Since then, the Swiss... <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before you were born, um, the Swiss franc has just headed north. It's the only currency which hasn't lost. And uh, this comes on to my case now about blowing the whistle on, on currency manipulation, which I did in 2011, because I saw this relentless appreciation of the Swiss franc against three major currencies, the euro, sterling, and the dollar. And the dollar mm. is the world's reserve currency. So how can you have a, a, a currency like the Swiss franc appreciating against the dollar um, when all the other countries in the world are using the dollar to buy commodities, oil, all the basics were priced in dollars. This is incredible that they debase the dollar like this. And as we know, all those rich people, they call ultra high net worth individuals and celebrities, were putting their money in the Swiss banks. In fact, um, Switzerland holds probably over 50% now of the world's wealth in this little country of 8 million people. Um, and I think the Swiss franc has been used as a form of valuation because let's face it, the metals, the precious metals are not going up. You know, you see oil, uh, you see um, the gold price move up a little bit and then it comes back down again. And the same with silver and all these precious metals they talk about. Yeah. But the Swiss franc is always out in front. And then you ask yourself, well, why is the World Economic Forum there? Why is the, the meetings in Davos in Switzerland? For that very reason, because that's where all the affluent rich people go. And that's where they store their wealth. They store their wealth in the Swiss franc. And it's not just the currency. There's, there's, there's um, companies that have put holding companies in Switzerland for many years already. When I first moved there in 1969 to Switzerland, um, they were already transferring wealth through manufacturing companies by holding in Switzerland um, holding companies that would then bill other companies, invoice them and ship from all over the world, including South Africa. But so the profits actually stayed in Switzerland. They didn't. Yeah. And, 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 and who else is in Switzerland? The stakeholders. All the stakeholders are there. So it's for them and no one else. It's not for the man in the street. Mm, gee, does, that, that's interesting. does that sort of, yeah, it is interesting. And, uh, as I said, you could, you could, it's all about poaching and draining the resources of other countries. And that's what they've been doing for a long time. And I'm not saying, I'm not blaming the Swiss for this. This is what other countries have done. Other countries, mm. the wealthy in other countries, have used Switzerland for that reason. Um, and they've but used now, the Swiss franc as, as the valuation. I mean, this onslaught that's currently underway and that's going to go up a level with the introduction of CBDCs. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there are any places that might buff, uh, be buffered slightly better than others? 
Well, I think all the countries who have got their resources, and they've got lots of resources, but there's only about, I'd say about eight countries left in the world. Uh, and now we're getting into another uh, region called Overshoot. That is resources to the population. South Africa, I think, is still on um, their undershoot, but the rest of the countries, they're overshot their resources to their population. The UK is standing at about 78% overshot population to resources. That means they have to import everything else. So it, from that point of view, the valuation is still in resources. And that's what these fights are all about going on around the world. This is all about natural resources. Uh, forget the digital currency for a minute. Digital currency is going to end up being a means where they control the, the leaders of this world can control what you spend your money on and how you spend it. And they're using these credit scores. They've taught, you've probably heard this word credit score where they score yeah. people about their credit score. This is just a way of manipulating and punishing you and controlling mm. how much you spend because the consumers for them are over consuming. Many people have two cars, three TVs in their homes, and they look at you, all of us, as over-consuming. Now, I'm going to get into a point here which is quite controversial, and that is population, because I think this is what's driving all of this. The population has exploded over the last 50, 60 years, and people never like to talk about it, and the governments don't talk about it. So, and I, I, I do seriously believe that we are getting into a point of overpopulation. So but what better way to match the population with the resources and control how people spend? And this is what they're trying to do. I don't agree with it, with the way that they've done mm. it, introducing COVID and injecting everybody with sorts of, because it's not a vaccine. A vaccine is a, is a scrape on your arm. What they've been doing is they've been injecting people. And this is what people don't, in, in the newer generations, they don't know. Do you know what the difference is between a vaccination and, a, and, a, and an injection? COVID is an injection. Vaccines used to be given to us when we were kids on a sugar lump. You could take it on a sugar lump if you didn't like the scratch on the arm. But when, you went, when I first went to South Africa with my parents, we emigrated, we had to have smallpox. That wasn't an injection. It was a vaccination and it scratched onto the arm. So you get a swelling on the arm, you get a reaction, mm. and that was it. What they gave people for COVID was clear injections. Now, that's not the way to do anything to the population. And I'm talking about making people sick, because a lot of people got sick from these vaccinations. And we, we know that it was all nonsense about the number of people dying. They were dying of natural causes, and they labeled everything was due to COVID, everything. Yeah, People were dying yeah. of heart attacks and they, they put on the death certificates, these people were dying of COVID. Um, so that there was no jump in, in, in death rates at all during that period. So I think all in all, this, this whole control is about, and, and WEF is all about that. And even yeah. Prince Philip, he was, he was talking about this often, he said, we're overpopulated. I think uh, Prince Charles said the same thing, the royal family, they all agree that it's overpopulation. David Attenborough, the famous David Attenborough, he was talking about it too. And, um, you know, this is why you're getting this migration crisis too, because it's all about yeah. resources yes. and population. Yeah. All about, and I will never change my, my, my point on, of view on that. I, I'm, I've been around the world quite a few times. I've traveled in a lot of different countries. And you mm. see all the traffic on the roads and the, the amount of people. Now, I'm not saying let's eliminate people. I'm saying the leaders should have been warning us of this 40 years ago. They should have said, they should have been telling us what the Chinese were telling people 40 years ago, one family, one child, just for the next generation, just to keep that balance between mother nature and human beings on the planet. Otherwise, you're going to run out of resources. Trevor Kitchen, don't go anywhere. I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. 
CNBC co-anchor Andrew Ross Sorkin is, well, very annoying. In the most annoying way, as a matter of fact. And here he is being super annoying, going after House Speaker Mike Johnson on the issue of his faith. I think it was the first day that uh, you had been uh, sworn in. It appeared uh, that you had were praying uh, on the floor uh, of Congress with a number of other uh, congressmen. And there is a question about the separation of, of church and state. One thing to to pray outside and to have your faith, and, and, and there's a great importance in that. But how do you think about that, and how do you think about the public perception of that? See, annoying, but Johnson schooled him. When the founders set this system up, they wanted a vibrant expression of faith in the public square because they believed that uh, a general moral consensus and virtue was necessary to maintain this grand experiment in self-governance that we created, a government of, by, and for the people. We don't have a king in charge, we don't have a middleman, so we've got to keep morality amongst us so that we have accountability. And so they, they wanted faith to be a big part of that. The, the separation of church and state is a, is a misnomer. People misunderstand it. Of course, it comes from a phrase that was in a letter that Jefferson wrote. It's not in the Constitution. Proof once again that facts trump annoying every time. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Tune in to my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Trevor, one of the one of the concerns that I have uh, for, I don't think my life, but I, I certainly think the next generation is there definitely seems to be this attack. You were talking earlier about censorship, but also privacy. I mean, those two things seem to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They do. Uh, secrecy and privacy. I mean, you are entitled to your private life. Mm. Um, but this secrecy and privacy like they have in Switzerland is is for the um, the elite. It's mm. it's to keep their secrets and um, and keep themselves private. Um, but that doesn't apply to you and I. We have to now give every piece of information when we want to open up a bank account. It's incredible. But and I know for a fact that these um, the oligarchs in this world, when they open up a bank account in Zurich, they don't have this problem. They just get their passport and their curriculum vitae and that's it. It's done. It's opened because they have money. So again, it's, it's a way of dividing us between us and them. So the privacy and secrecy is primarily for the ultra rich. And as far as you and I are concerned, we have no secrecy. We have no privacy. We have to be open books. But have you not heard that argument that people use? Uh, well, if you've got nothing to hide, then what have you got to worry about? Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> it's not about what you've got to hide. It's that there are certain things in life that are private. Um, we don't know any. Look, walk into a bank in Joburg or in Cape Town and say, can I speak to the manager? He's hidden. He's got a barrier yeah. of, of clerks down at a lower level administration clerks, and you can never get through to this guy. It's the same all over Europe now. And this is the same in even shops. You can never see the manager. They've put barriers yeah. in front of, between you, the customer. This is why customer service is just going down the drain everywhere. It's all That's about- That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, sorry, just on that Trevor, sorry, sorry for jumping in, but yeah, no. my, my wife and I, we were in um, Amsterdam last month and that's the very first thing that we noticed. Uh, we, 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 we wanted to find our way out of the airport and so we walked around looking for an information counter and there wasn't one. Um, so here in South yeah. Africa, we, at least we still have information counters with people. But, you know, at, at Schiphol Airport, uh, <laughs> it was just a computer with a touch screen. <laughs> so we couldn't talk to that's anybody. Right. That's right. Well, I was there the other year when they rearrested me, so I know exactly where you're coming from. And this is all about distancing the public 
from the big boys at the top who are running everything. They put layers yeah. and layers and layers of barriers between the public and themselves. Um, but uh, also in London, I remember the last time I saw a customer service counter, I walked over, I think it was in Gatwick, I walked over to the counter and they had a big sign on the counter saying, if you talk to our staff the wrong way, we will call security. And I, I was stood looking sure. at this and the lady looked at me and she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I wonder why you threaten your customers with, with signposts like this. What makes you believe that people are going to start threatening you? And she said, well, what is your issue, sir? Sure. And I said, no, I'm just asking you about this signpost. It, it looks a little bit uh, uh, abusive towards the, the customers here. You know, after all, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for customers. She said, if you carry on, of course, security. <laughs> and that was it. So this is, this is the way we're going. And I think this is not just um, with these type of things. It's with everything. And it's all yeah. about the new generation. And I hate to say this. I don't say the younger generation. I say the new generation. It's all about passing the responsibility onto the public. You must do everything. You want to book an air ticket? Book it yourself. We're not going to do that for you. There's no travel agencies. Uh, you're going to book the air ticket yourself. You want to open up a bank account? Well, you must give us all of your information. You must bow down to us. We are the supreme and you are someone else. And this is where it's all turned around. There's yeah. no customer service anymore. I wonder. So, yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's a way to push back. If this is a what pushback? No, I'm saying I wonder if there is a way to push back. What do you think? Well, this is the this is the this is the big question, and I'm glad you asked it because I was talking with my wife earlier about this, and I said. You know, you can have all these shows you like, radio shows, TV shows, you might even get into the mainstream media with this. But um, it's, is there an answer to it? What are you going to do? Who are you going to replace these people with? If, if you replace the WEF, if you got rid of it, if you got rid of the European Union, who do you replace these people with and how do you make change? Because we yeah. can all sit here discussing it and talking about what's going on. Nobody's really listening to us. We're talking to like-minded people. That's why I'm on this show. Um, and that's what we're doing. And in the end of the day, we're just bouncing off one another, what we feel is going wrong in the world. But how do you get to the point where you can make a change? And if those people are hidden from you, well, you're never gonna get, it. this is never gonna go away. Just like digital currency isn't going to go away. That's gonna, that, that will be brought in. And it will be a way of controlling, you, again, how you live, how you spend your money every day. You need money every day. Did you notice when you were in Holland that 90% of the places would not accept cash? Do you remember? Um, yes, I did notice that. It was very weird. Yeah. Well, 95, 90 to 95% of the place. You go for a coffee? No, it's just use your credit card. We don't take cash. I noticed mm, that. Or your phone. Yeah, or your phone. And those phones yeah. take forever. You, 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 here in Portugal, you go to a checkout uh, in a supermarket and people are fiddling around for 10 minutes. I get to the cash desk, I pull out a 50 euro note, I pay and I'm gone. And I wonder whether this technology is really what they make it out to be. But again, I think they need digital currency to mop up all the money that they've printed. Trevor, what do you make then of... Uh, something like Bitcoin, which is now outside of this system. I've never, I could have got into Bitcoin in the very beginning and I never bothered. And I know people who made a lot of money because they were in the early days. Yeah. Uh, trying to get into Bitcoin in the middle of a range trading, because I've traded a lot in my life. Um, trying to get in the middle ranges, you can lose one side or the other. If you short it or if you buy it, you can lose either way and you'd lose big time. If you were not in at the beginning, it's too late. And the beginning is long gone. I don't think but that Bitcoin does, is ever, there's no other. Yeah, but that doesn't sound like a currency it. then. Yeah, so that doesn't sound like a no. currency then. Yeah, no. And if you want to talk about a currency, what, what do you think you've got in your pocket right now on these nodes? Have you noticed that they've got barcodes, your nodes? They've yes. got holograms? Yes, yes, yes. They've got barcodes. 
So when you go to the ATM and you take out money, you've got a barcode on that note. That bank knows that you took it out of your account. And when you go and spend it in the supermarket yeah. and that supermarket deposits that money, they know where it's come in and it's gone out. That is already digital currency. Yeah, effectively. true. It's to already be fair, though, digital. Mm -hmm. To be fair, Trevor, I don't have any money in my pocket. I, I do have a knife, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you can't carry those things around anymore. Well, yeah, you do, can. Do, yeah, uh, do they still have gun control? Do they have any gun control in South Africa? Because I remember when I lived there, there wasn't. You could just buy a well, gun I mean, sort of thing. Yes, 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 yes. There is gun control. I mean, there is a, a process, but to own a gun is is not terribly difficult. Uh, they do no. give you red tape and all that sort of thing. But we do have a very strong uh, gun lobby, thankfully, that 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 always fights for for our right to have a gun. Because remember, we are a very violent country, so we we have the we have that in a very dark way as an advantage. Yeah, the same as America. Um, yeah. The reason why people want to keep their guns in America is for when you get rogue governments that they have something to fight with. What do you want to fight with? Sticks yeah. and stones? So, yeah, yeah I, I had a gun license when I lived in Rhodesia. I was actually in Rhodesia. I used to work for the Star newspaper in South Africa. And yeah. uh, they transferred. Me oh, really? Up to the star. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, actually, it was the it was the it, uh, uh, it was an offshoot of the star. It was called uh, the World, and that was for the okay. uh, African people. That newspaper, I think, is still going. It's owned by the Argus Group of companies, and uh, the the World was the uh, the arm for the African um, readers, and they they transferred me up to Rhodesia. And the first thing they told me, because I was living out in the country is get a gun. So yeah. I went and joined the rifle and pistol club and I bought a, a gun. And uh, I gladly I didn't have to use it ever, you know. There was uh, no well, threat. I mean, there are, are, I mean, since we're on that topic, there are different uh, forms of, of shooting. I mean, you, you, I go hunting, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good reason to have a gun if, if, if you don't want to have a gun for self-defense. Or sports shooting is yeah, a lot of fun. I mean, an AK-47 yeah. is one of my favorite guns to shoot. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They, that, that's quite, that's an automatic gun, isn't it? The AK uh, no, 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 it's not. No. Is it semi-automatic? No, semi it's semi, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty but, dangerous gun, so anyway. Yeah, but I mean, uh, look, the gun itself is not dangerous. It's like a knife. It's not dangerous. It's it's who's using it, you know, and, and I think, and I think that comes back in a long roundabout way to what you were talking about earlier in terms of self-responsibility. And and I mentioned self-censorship, for example. Now, I think, for example, that that is very dangerous in the sense that if you don't know how to handle speech mm -hmm. in, a, in a good, clever way, you are going to implode because speech is our most, that's our most um, cutting weapon, isn't it? Absolutely. It's crucial. And this is why we've got two major wars going on, probably more. Yes. actually. We've got major wars going on because these people, these people who are meant to be able to negotiate and sit down and talk and discuss and have debates are not doing so. They've got to the point where they're fighting each other physically yeah. in war. And that applies to public as well. When you get to the point that you can no longer talk to one another and you're still in an argument, you end up taking physical um, mm. action. And that's what's happening with these wars. And it shouldn't be. So the more that they stifle speech and censor us, the more we're going to be put into a state of fear and the more we're going to be yeah. fighting one another instead of talking. So speech is vital, absolutely. And they shouldn't be doing what they're doing with this. But, but as I said, we have to now somehow we have to engage in this tug of war between uh, top-down censorship and bottom-up censorship. I mean, we we must never fall into the trap of self-censoring, self-censoring, and as you said earlier, because of fear, we mustn't be fearful. No, well, I I was put in a little bit of a state of fear because I was thrown in prison twice at my age. Yes, I couldn't. I've never been. I've never had a criminal record in my life, and um, you know. It's, my wife took it harder than I did. 
I knew that they would have to let me out sooner or later, but they kept me in Holland in 14 days in solitary confinement. And every time they opened the door, I said to them, every time I opened the door, I said, do you know that you're doing this because of speech? Because of what I wrote in emails, in complaints to the governments? And they said, we're not doing this. It's the Swiss that's doing this. But I did start self-centering, Jeremy. I did start yeah. writing emails very carefully. And then I thought, no, blow it. I'm going to go back to the truth. I want to go back to the truth and tell people what really happened. What really happened yeah. is people defrauded me. I reported it to the government and the government supported them. The government aided and abetted them using their laws to silence me. And that's got to be wrong. Uh, it is wrong. Um, so I'm not afraid of that anymore at my age. If I was your age, I'd probably be a lot more afraid because you've got such a longer life to live than I have. I've got nothing to lose at this age. You know? But you know what I'm saying? You've got your career to think, you've got your career to think about and everything. And, and they can do a lot mm. of damage. And they've done a lot of damage. Uh, in Switzerland, yeah. every whistleblower that I knew has been in prison, including Bradley Birkenfeld, the UBS whistleblower, Rudolf yeah. Elmer, all have been in prison. Yeah. Um, Trevor, sorry to, 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 cut, to cut you off, but I see time is starting to run against us. And I'm just yeah. wondering if I wanted to uh, follow your commentary or anything like that, is there a way? Um, you mean follow my commentary, follow up on it mm. another day? Yeah, your, yeah work, absolutely. your work, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to get a book written. Um, right. And uh, I'm looking for a good ghostwriter. But yes, absolutely. Uh, yes. Please do. Uh, let's let's sit let's sit down again. We've covered a lot of subjects today, and we can perhaps concentrate on just one, and uh, you know, amplify more on the areas that that are, are of deep concern for society, and as you said, for the future, the future Trevor generations. Kitchen. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, I just quickly want to remind you, send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live if you want more information or you want to ask me questions or you want to give me uh, uh, tip-offs or you might even want to give me suggestions for guests. I'm open to all of that. Just very quickly, I was saying to um, Alex earlier during the break, uh, somebody emailed me the other day asking, why do I say wine farm? And since we were talking about wine in this conversation, I thought I'd quickly mention it. I don't know. It's something that we just do here in South Africa. Um, I, I understand that people say vineyards, which means essentially the same thing. But I, I think maybe it comes from the Afrikaans word vainplas, which which literally translates to wine farm. And I guess on a farm on which you make wine, you would have vineyards. <laughs> but uh, unless you unless you are referring to that specific collection of grape vines, um, we just refer to it as a wine farm. And also on wine farms, we have restaurants and all those sorts of things. So maybe that's part of the reason. I don't know. It's cultural. I, I, I had no idea that that very few people say wine farm. If you say wine farm, send me an email. Let me know. I'd love to know. It's a, it just it didn't even occur to me. Anyway, Germ Warfare at Live. I'm out of here. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Mm -hmm.